0: Team won its first game. Congratulations. We were one up. The other team scored four goals in about two minutes. They scored another later on, and then uh, we scored like six unanswered. So
1: is this a league where you guys like pull goalkeepers at halftime?
0: No, it's just a really bad league.
1: Well, hello there, FC Dallas curious fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast episode number 20. Is this number 20? Holy cow, we should have a celebration if it is. Uh, Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm tired and kind of grumpy because uh, we're doing this for the first time on the heels directly after an FC Dallas game, one that featured... uh, well, goodness, uh, not a good result. Joining me tonight is the normal duo of guys, Dan Crook. Come in,
0: Dan. How are you, sir? Good evening, Peter. I'm good, thanks. I'm uh, just emerged from the bomb shelter where I kept Dan Hunt company during the game.
1: <laughs> that was was very nice of you. And uh, also our leader and co-editor of Third Degree dot uh, net,
2: Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Good evening, fellas. Tonight I'm calling in from my bedroom. I'm all warm and snucky in my PJs. That's the best.
1: Buzz um, and onesie. <laughs>
2: yeah, with has, the
1: footies. Uh, what Now, but does it have <laughs> the flap, the emergency got to go to the bathroom flap? No, over the no, I'm,
2: no I'm, I'm beyond the flap, but I've definitely got the, the footies.
1: Oh, that's too bad.
2: I was hoping for the
1: flap. All right. Well, we are now looking and staring right at three straight losses. F uh c dallas zero lafc two four out of their last seven guys i gotta wonder with this string of form that we've seen of late even with the two victories uh mixed in that last seven are we seeing what are we seeing more of a byproduct of a rookie coaching staff or poor roster construction
2: uh i think it's a little bit more on uh roster construction i think you're um you know, the, the coaches and the players on this team have talked a lot about we have good squad depth. They keep saying that. I'm not sure I buy that. I think that they uh, they have some young kids that are big parts of their team, but I don't think they have a lot of proven depth. And I think that's being showcased pretty clearly when you've got a few injuries and you got a couple guys missing that have become key cogs. You know, that's a big strain on your roster. You still got two open roster spots. You still got some guys that are not really contributing to the team. So... I think it's, I, I'm going to go with the uh, poor roster
0: construction part of the uh, equation. Yeah, that seems fair. I mean, uh, you know, for all of uh, the, the coaching faults in this uh, rookie phase, uh, you know, you can say that they're faults that, that many coaches take years to get rid of, uh, you know, in terms of times of substitutions and, uh, you know, when to actually be uh, proactive or reactive. Um, they say it's, it's it's lovely roster construction. Um, can talk all day about the the depth. The midfield was uh, was such a key point to have depth in. Well, a lot of that depth's now in Poland at the under twenty World Cup. So, uh, you know, how deep is it really? I tend to think there's uh, elements of both of those.
1: Now, look, going to LAFC in LA and losing two nothing is. Really no alarming deal because there's going to be a ton of teams that go in there and have that exact same thing, if not worse, happen to them. But this comes on the heels of what I do think has to go down as one of the most embarrassing losses in this club's history, which was last weekend when New York Red Bulls marched into town and uh, did the most disrespectful thing they could possibly do. They started essentially their B team, and trounced the Huntsman 3-1 to in Frisco. And the one thing that I want to point out to everybody that is bothering me more than anything else is that these two losses did not come with a starting 11 filled with academy kids. It was actually the most veteran lineups that Lucci has put out on the field all season long made up mostly of imported veteran players, and they've played the shittiest ball with those lineups.
2: No, I, I would agree with that assessment. Um, you know, the, the New York game had its moments, but uh, when you're playing a team where they, they do a complete squad rotation and roll out nobody, you should trounce that team. That's That was what in the whole, we joke about the hashtag disrespectful, but that's what that whole discussion came from, from a commentator saying, you should crush this team when you come in here with this kind of thing. And that's exactly the way you should feel. This is a team that essentially Dallas played in the spring, uh, in one of their final tune-up games and handled easily. You know, it's, you are correct. And it it raises an interesting point that I've been trying to wrap my head around this week is that some of these veteran, uh, players that FC Dallas has and has been using of late are not actually now the key components and the best players of this team, uh, Pomacol is twenty years old. Surreal has become a humongous cog. You know, Jesus Ferreira in the New York game was on the bench. You know, he's nineteen years old and is le- leading scorer on the team and has what now three out of three goals in five games. I think it is or something. You know, it's uh, the kids have have become this team. And when you're when you, it's amazing to me that when you're missing them, you went to what arguably was a veteran team coming in from last year and it's not performing it really is uh, that's what's really amazing to me is that the kids
0: are now the team i think as well you you said about the the veteran presence you know those veterans are all still trying to find their place in this team um ryan holland has had that that runner at, at left back gets moved to the wing and suddenly struggles uh again tonight you know he might as well have not been on the field uh same with Budgie. you know he's not getting any regular time at any one position like, like or on the field at all um you know so there's the is he a winger is he a or is he a left winger is he a right winger is he a striker what's going on are we gonna play back a little bit behind a striker um there's... the the young kids all seem to n even know their place or know their place is and have a mindset of right on the field, get down, play, that's it. Uh, some of the other guys just seem to struggle to adapt.
1: But I, I think if you go down the roster in the last two games and, and really put some thought to it, what is most disturbing is that all of these players that are veteran Albeit some of them are still young, but they were playing uh, high, you know, in theory high-level ball in other countries, and were you know quote-unquote exciting signings have failed to deliver across the board. You've got Mascara, who is a literal on and off switch, and by the way, I've got a whole hot sports opinion about how soft that guy is. Um, And you've got Orangis, who has still yet to score a goal or provide an assist. He's been given plenty of opportunities. Um, you've got players. Also, in addition to that, like uh, Cobra. Well, yeah, I was going to get. Oh, Baji. <laughs> Baji's uh, my next one. So Baji is a player they brought in on a trade. Now, maybe you can make the argument. Look, we had. You know, we had to get kellen out and we had to get something in return and this was the best we could get don't blame us all right maybe i'll even give him a pass on that uh but then you've got cobra and that guy is the most useless lump i have seen i mean i don't know how somebody went to eastern europe and scouted this guy and thought oh yeah he's mls quality and i don't even understand how the team even made a big deal about him coming here um you know, the ball coming off his knees was the most Christian Coleman thing I I have seen since Christian Coleman. So when you think about all of these players that are in here, and again, you know, Brian Acosta, somebody asked the question on Twitter today, how Brian Acosta can be this team's record signing. And my my response in my head is, you know what, that's two to three million dollars is probably a fair and accurate value for Brian Acosta. The problem is, that's the amount of money that is considered a record signing for this club, and that's why everybody else that is a foreign import is really kind of a, at best, a mediocre MLS player. At best, and that's what you have supporting a team largely made up of young
2: kids. Well, I, I felt like Acosta's been pretty good acquisition, um, you know, the last couple of games. He's in there, basically doing a lot of it almost by himself. Oh, uh, Buzz, know, so that's
1: Don't yeah. don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to knock on Acosta. I think yeah.
2: Acosta is a solid player who
1: would probably uh, excel at a in, yeah. inside a much better team than this. But he's being asked to do way more than I
2: think he's capable yeah. of. He's, he, they're asking him to do more right now, for sure. They're asking him to be more than you're right. He's capable of now. If you're talking about him with Greso and, and Paxton, I think I think it's great. But um, you are correct that. Um, we we laughed about the idea that he's their record signing and he's just a, you look at the value of what they paid for him and you laugh, like, that's your record signing? You know, the MLS is in a new era where the teams at the top of the thing are spending $15 million on players, not $3 million on players. But, you know, we've known that. It is going to be what it's going to be. How many times this year have we heard what say we're a developmental club? And then there was even that quote um, at the end of last week, I think it was, where uh, Dan Hunt said that there's a whole bunch of kids in the Academy that they consider this golden generation. Well, I think that, started. yeah, I know. But I think what that tells you is their mentality, right? That's where their focus is. Their focus is, and that's why they hired Lucci, right? Because rather than somebody else, because he came from the Academy and he bought into this built system. So you're looking at a team that is at the beginning of a, uh, youth movement. That's going to take two or three years to get implemented into place and two or three years to develop, right? They're not looking at this season. They're looking at the next decade, essentially. So, if you're lucky, if you're super lucky, this is like when Beckham and his boys came out of the Manchester United academy as a group, and the four or five of them—I can't I think there was five of them—played together in a team that won title after title after title. If you're unlucky, you're going to have a bunch of 18-year-olds playing on this team over the next decade, and you're you're not going to be winning all the games anymore. But that you know those those factors are all pointing us to what we all talked about at the beginning of the season, you know that we believe from the get go is that this is a transitional year, they're gonna start bringing in kids after kid after kid. The investment in the new North Texas team is, is an example of that, and it's gonna be a struggle this year to try and get these kids to progress when you're surrounding them with guys that maybe aren't up to the level of new MLS you look at that team that LAFC fielded today they don't use any academy kids now I'm not knocking out Dallas's academy kids because a lot of them are fantastic but you cannot look at the two teams and say that those are equivalent balanced rosters they're just not it's a new era in MLS and I don't know that the Hunts are ready to keep up Dan uh, it was pretty
1: stunning to take a moment and soak in uh, the scenes from um uh lafc stadium in the stands on the field and not come away with just the the clear vision that these are two clubs that could not be more polar opposite on and off the field
0: yeah um you know the engagement in the area the the quality of that stadium the uh everything really everything um you know the way the the front office there have worked with the supporters to to make that look like such an appealing place to be and then they've complemented with the players okay you've i mean honestly you know you honestly you can look at LAFC and uh they you know they're not a roster of superstars uh you know you've got uh, Carlos Vela um, a fantastic player and then you've got guys like Jordan Harvey and Latif Blessing who Let's be honest. They could go on uh, Colorado's roster and not make a damn difference. Um, yeah, you know, but yeah, but you're still
2: talking better. about. We've talked. I don't mean to interrupt, Dan, but I'm going to. We talk about all the time
0: difference makers, right?
2: The guys that are special. And right now, Dallas has only his one, and he's hurt. And LA has three or four. So this is a significant difference.
0: Definitely between definitely. I mean, I, I think you know, even taking it back a step, like difference makers for FC Dallas. FC Dallas is you know one of the large problems with fc dallas is is the scouting network uh you look at the euro imports and cobra is going to be a great example he had six months where he was just on fire six months across his entire career as a 30 year old and the club bought in on it completely um you gotta think there's no like there's no like long-term scouting there um yeah, you can look at like New York Red Bulls with uh, Bradley Wright Phillips. Bradley Wright Phillips was a, a terrible player in league too, but you know they watched him. They identified a plan of what they could do to make him work in their system, and well, five years later, and he's just now breaking down as a what thirty-five year old. Uh, you know they've definitely got their money's worth out of him, and really didn't have to pay him very much until like the third season. You know, FC Dallas could easily find somebody like that. They just have to, you know, put that investment into the scouting as well as uh, to complement the academy.
1: Uh, well, I was thinking about this during the game, and w- one of the realizations I have is what we're seeing right now is clearly the byproduct of two things. And I want to say this as respectfully as I can this is a byproduct of several years of a uh, the Office of Technical Director and Scouting uh, being headed up by a guy who was battling cancer and ultimately succumbed to that, but you never got the sense the club had a real support structure underneath him to help buffer uh, that role while he was uh, bravely ba- battling uh, that fight. And also the byproduct of your spiritual leader slash head coach slash face of the club uh, making a decision that he didn't want to be there anymore. And the result of that is you replaced him with a very, very rookie coach. And that's what getting back to what I said earlier. That's why I feel like what we're seeing today is a byproduct of both roster construction and, you know, just rookie coaching, um, which are all things that are, you know, look, if we, we know all of this going in and our expectations are set properly, um, we know how to, we don't have to be too upset about this, but, uh, th- this is not an unpredictable result, uh, that we're seeing over the last month.
2: Is it? I was going to say that, you know, it, it's, you, you, I think you're right about the, uh, the transition, you know, when Muzi was leaving at the same time he was trying to do some stuff and they're, and they're trying to hire coaches and they're trying to hire new technical directors, all while they're trying to staff a team. And you ended up with a real hit-miss situation. If you go back a whole year, I think Ned Yalkov, I think, was pretty a pretty good hit until he, of course, decided he was homesick. Mosquera seemed, uh, seemed on the surface so far to be a pretty good hit if he can stay healthy. I know you think he's fairly soft. Orangis hasn't panned out, but I think Bresson looks like he could be a, a nice piece if and when the time is actually around for him to play a fair amount. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's just been about the last couple of years, it seems like it's been about a 50% hit rate. And, and if you're looking at an MLS and at, 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 at the salary cap situation, you can't afford to have uh, a 50% miss rate if you're paying people four or five, $600,000 a year. Now we don't know what some of these new guys are getting paid yet, but um, that'll be the thing that'll really contribute to the, the hit and miss value of some of these guys is the contracts, you know, so that that's a, that's a worry. Um, and I agree with you that like the, 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 what we're seeing now is the stresses of the season impact the team. Uh, injuries, call-ups, you know, teams are starting to figure out Dallas a little bit, you know, those stresses are hitting hard, and you have, a, and as you say, you have a young staff, and you have some, some players that have missed, and you have a roster that's not constructed really well right now, and, and that all piles up, and it all contributes. So we sh- sh-
1: I want to make a mention of two things we talked about earlier. One, uh, so after what we thought was an absolutely devastating injury at the end of the uh, Red Bull game, when Mascara clearly does something to his knee, goes to the ground, pulls himself off the field. The team has no more subs. um, And whatever has happened to him, he is deemed so bad that he has to be stretchered off the field. Uh, And then later is photographed in a hospital with his mom next to him uh, with this giant knee brace on. Um, And I think we all left that thinking, well, he's done for the season, isn't he? And then we find out he's only out three or four weeks. And when i when I take that and measure it against some of these other things that I've seen with him, I just I am really left to wonder um, how mentally strong that kid is and if he really has what it takes to be a pro player at this level, willing to play through hurt, not necessarily injury but play through pain and I just don't think he's got that in him
2: yeah, he definitely um, from my perspective watching training and stuff he, he definitely is a hot and cold uh, mentality. You know, he, he needs a little little loving, a little patting on the shoulder, you know, uh, hey, you're doing good, kid, that kind of build up, kind of coaching. Um, you know, I, I don't know enough about his injury situation to uh, specifically comment on this particular injury. I, I do know that I, I, I do kind of feel like uh, he is a guy that doesn't want to play through pain, uh, that, you know, there's a difference between injured and hurt. You know, well, um, compare, like Bajis. Like, compare,
1: compare him to Reggie yeah. Cannon.
2: We've watched Reggie literally
1: right. force himself to stay on the field when he looks like one of his body parts are falling off. He's like the knight from the Monty Python movie.
2: Yeah, you know, the when, when you're talking about um, players that can play through, through that kind of stuff, Reggie is a guy that absolutely can. Um, you know, some guys just can't. And, uh, you know, it seems like Mascara is that kind of guy. You know, I... I still have hope that he's actually going to be a really talented player and a really good piece for Dallas. I just don't think you can account on him to ever be a 30 game piece. He's going to be more like a Diaz. He's going to be more like a 20 game piece, you know. And sometimes that's okay. You know, the the problem as we've talked about before, that's okay if you don't miss on other stuff. If you don't miss on draft picks and you don't miss on signings, a guy that only plays 20 games is fine. It's but it's it's when you miss and it magnifies those guys and you're having to use guys like you're trying to make Ryan Hollingshead play as a wing when he hadn't played in a wing in four years. You know, it's, it's, it, it's, a tough to, to, to mask those, those misses when, when you don't have the depth, it, it all piles up and it all contributes together. And then Buzz, I
1: uh, think you've got a dirty little secret to reveal uh, related to Grezo.
2: Well, I don't know how dirty it is necessarily. Um, they keep listing him as a, uh, lower body strain uh, <laughs> and I was there when it happened and it's it's funny that I'm laughing about it because I was watching him when he'd happened and it's not the lower body strain; it's a damn hamstring well that's the like lower body yeah I mean it's lower body but it's like what why bother with that just say what it is you know and, and now in this case but you know why but but Buzz, you I know, know why, I why right I know they why, I, know to admit I know. they've had no, another I know
1: hamstring injury for Christ right, I know
2: but this admit it. you know I I'm, I'm watching him run it so it's not like He fell down screaming like it's a rip. It's just all of a sudden he stopped running and kind of gestured to his hamstring and walked off the field and walked into training. You know, And I've had reports from the staff that it's not a particularly bad one. It's kind of like when Hollingshead had one where this kind of popped up in training. So I'm not particularly concerned about it, except that uh, Copa America is around the corner. And it's as usual, as I say, with these kind of hamstrings, it's better to Even if it's really mild, it's better to shut it down for a week or two than trying to play on it and tearing it, because then you're out a long time Tear it. So it's not surprising to me that once Grezzo had this tiny little hamstring issue, that he was going to miss a game or two. I knew that was what was going to happen. You know, I had a whole conversation with Lucci about it, about um, you know, about what happens and how bad is it and all this kind of thing. You know, so I knew it was coming. And I knew he was going to sit out. And if the MLS Cup was tomorrow, he'd probably play. But on the other side of the coin, he's got to protect himself too because there's all these rumors about him being sold again. I think didn't Twelman talk about multiple offers? I think that was he was talking about Grezo on the show tonight. Yeah, so you know, I, you know, the but team is the, the he, team. What I can tell you is that the team knows that they are now a selling team, and this is a selling league. Guys are going to be gone, you know, and they're shutting him down to protect him. And for whether he's here or not, you can't. It's understandable. I just I just laugh at the idea that it's that you're not just going to call it a hamstring, that you're going to call it a lower body. That's what makes me laugh. Uh,
1: Dan, I you know I'm wondering uh, and trying to get back to some of the more specifics about both the uh, the Red Bull game and the um, and the game tonight. Uh, the 2-0 loss in L.A., tactically, I just get the sense that Lucci, I can't tell if Lucci is just ham-fist convicted on the idea that he's going to try to figure out a way to get a ball in the opposing half of the field but the manner in which he goes about it tactically and these teams that are pressing them high and pressing them so hard is is that he just he's created a team that I don't even know if they know how to counterattack once they win the ball back in their own half that's the most glaring problem with this team at this point to me
0: yeah, the, the few times I were counters, there was a, a really nice one that started with uh, with Nelson. Uh, kind of got wasted when Arangis uh, failed to to spot an overlap uh, developing on the right on the right hand side. you had uh, I remember one break for Reggie uh, Ryan's playing on the right wing at that time, and they couldn't figure out where to run. Um, yeah, there was no overlap underlap, and it was. They both just run into nose into just a horde of uh, LA players. Uh, It's it's frustrating to watch. It's it's frustrating. Um, I'm definitely a big proponent of football played the right way with the ball on the ground, but there's sometimes when you're under that press, you you have to ping a ball over the top or. Just, you know, leather one out to the wings. And, um, I don't know, we're just just seeing the same patterns. Uh, FC Dallas are trying to sort of play it around until some space develops, which is is great in some games because that does happen. You can, you know, you can pull a midfielder inside and and create that gap. Uh, Last week, tonight, didn't... That wasn't happening, and it was just a, a frustrating back and forth, back and forth, until eventually, uh, you know, there was a press uh, from L.A., and suddenly FC Dallas are playing themselves into danger in, in their third of the field. Yeah, the, the opening goal, I thought, you know,
1: first off, when I saw the lineup and realized that poor... Uh, John Nelson was going to have to uh, face off against Carlos Vela. I th- just thought that was fundamentally unfair. Uh, but credit to him, he I thought he handled Vela fairly well. Uh, he did commit several uh, turnovers uh, in, in their own third of the field. Although, to be fair to him, um, one of those was something that I noticed several times with Brian Acosta. And by the way, I thought Brian worked very hard. But there were several balls where teammates were trying to play the ball to Brian... And, and Brian was not making an effort to come check to balls. He was almost like he was waiting for the ball to arrive to him, and that just created, I, I think I saw that three or four times in the course of just the first half alone. But let me get back to Nelson. Um, on the opening goal, that actually wasn't Nelson's fault, and that was a byproduct of some poor center back play between uh, Rito and Matt, who you know are arguably the two most veteran players on the team.
0: Yeah, I just, uh, I just took that step back to play him to play Vela side while Ziegler stepped up away from him.
1: Yeah, Ziegler left him and Hedges held him on. I mean, it, it doesn't get any bit different than that.
0: I mean, it's, it's, it's something you learn as a kid to, to hold the line. Step up as a line, look across the line in defending. It was just, I mean, that's just a lapse in concentration. It's just, it's not the first time it's happened.
1: So, Buzz, one of the other things I noticed... Uh, in two parts one there was a sequence at about the 38th minute where dallas finally got their foot on the ball Uh, they started to make some build-up play going forward they got about 15 yards into la's half of the field and ran into a roadblock and before you knew it the ball was all the way back to jesse at the other end of the field and they had to start over again which subsequently 10 seconds later they turned over um what is it about this collection of players where we don't where they don't seem to have people who want to take on and beat defenders and they seem way more comfortable just pulling the ball backwards and playing it laterally or backwards
2: that's a good question you know i it must be part of um, lucci's teaching uh to keep it and rotate it back and rotate it around rather than being aggressive because the only player we see do that is Paxton. Um Mosquera did it a little in the spring, but it was less about one-on-one as much as it was like more of a slashing run and wanting to play like a combo with somebody sort of checking to him. But um it's an interesting question. I, you know, I, Lucci, Luci preaches keeping the ball, you know, and they want to, they want a high number of passes. And they want to mess it around, but we, we've talked ad nauseum about how they're, you know, tops in the league-ish uh, with possession in their own end, but they're worse than the league in, in the other end. They just, they don't yet know uh, as a collective for sure how to advance and break down the play in the offensive third. It's too much of a, it's too much, to, it's too reliant on individual talents, whether it be Barrios's verticality or Paxton's, uh, aggressiveness both defensively and offensively or or mascara's cuts or Hollings heads uh, you know underneath a support run or or Reggie's get to the end and try and cross it you know it's the collective uh, the collective will is not there yet uh, offensively and so when they go they run forward they run into a wall their mindset is to keep it and reset you know, and it's it's certainly different than what we've seen before and in and of itself. You know, is it a bad thing? I I, I don't know. You know, I, I, I might feel great about it if it was converting into goals, if they were getting forward eventually and getting opportunities. But um, it's kind of strange that there's a relatively high percentage of the goals this team has scored have come from counterattacks, which is kind of weird. Well, you know what? You are yeah, a team you, that sits you, deep like they do.
1: You say that. Uh, But when I go look up the stats, stats, uh, I think it's who scored, shows that the only one goal they've scored this year is considered a counterattack. Yeah, but they only, they don't have all that many goals, so it's. (laughs) Well, I'm only saying one, so I don't know how many goals they, I think they're only like on 11 goals, so that's still a pretty low percentage. Right, I mean, that's 10%. (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) Right? They got 10. I mean, I, I had to look it up real quick, but I feel like... You I think know, it depends on how they define counterattack, because I think yeah, somebody uh, that's else fair. some that's other site fair. will say it's three or four. Um,
2: but think so. about how many goals they've scored that are very vertical by nature. You know, Barrios well, like, has got five assists, and how does he play? So... Oh, yeah. You know, and, uh,
1: without question, whether you call yeah. them counterattack goals or byproducts of, of sequences that started on the counter. Um, They're vertical. The, 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 getting Barrios into space has largely been their bread and butter uh, right. for the curse of the season. Now, yeah. um, uh,
2: I have it? a question. Let me ask this real quick. I'm going to jump in with a question. What do you guys think about this? Should, in hindsight now, should Lucci have effectively have abandoned this game and done a New York and gone with a full squad rotation in
0: favor of the home game on
2: Sunday in hindsight. Now, what do you think he should have done
0: in hindsight? Yes, because honestly LAFC weren't that good. And I think a fresh team would have at home would have a, at least some shot of, of getting three points.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, hindsight, foresight, whatever that, that probably would have made more sense. And it certainly, and now that you say it buzz, it, man, that totally sounds like something Oscar would have done.
2: It's, it's, it's what Oscar would have done. And it's what shells Hyman did do. If you remember that, that time when he had those three games in five days, I think it was, yeah, you're right. It's what I would have done. What I would have, I would have sacrificed the road game and and brought in started, you know, a bunch of dudes that have yet to play at all, you know, maybe not a hundred percent like New York, but I would have gotten pretty close and I would have, You know, because you're you're talking about the best team in the league and Lennon and L.A. is a virtual impossibility that, that was a long shot, even when you're on your best form. So I, I think I would have sacrificed that game and used it as a learning opportunity for somebody and then put all my eggs in the home game return basket.
1: But I'll provide a contrarian uh, point of view on that. If you sure. throw out a lineup made up of uh, uh, all the guys that you haven't seen yet this season or seen very little of, including a Thomas Roberts and a Cobra and uh, the two guys that played in the USL last year, whose last names I can never remember how to pronounce and uh, Nelson and Montgomery, and they go to LAFC and get mowed and blown out five six seven goals whatever it is I, I do think there's a danger of setting a tone for the remainder of your season uh, that you probably want to avoid if you can um, and as as beat up and as bad in form as this team has been over the last not just one or two or three weeks this team has not been in good form for several weeks in a row now and um, I don't know if I, – while I, I agree those are things that maybe Oscar may have done or shell's may have done, I'm not sure that would have been the right thing to do tonight.
2: Yeah, I mean you could – I think you could have – if you'd have stuck with your normal formation, you could have put Bresson in for Ziegler, right? You mm-hmm. could have left Nelson in. He played anyway, right? Cannon's young. You could have left him in. Or maybe you try Brian Reynolds at right back. You know, he's not that much further off, right? I mean Thomas Roberts in for – Uh, who would have been in for Jesus, I guess, you know, I mean, Cobra started anyway. I mean, Baji, uh, didn't play, you know, so you're looking at, you're only looking at like three or four more differences. I don't know that it was Hayes would have stayed in Acosta would have been out. That would have been the other player that would have been, yeah, I don't know that it would have been all
1: that worse. Well, honestly. I'm not sure anything gets better. What I can tell everybody is, uh, uh, on the team to look forward to is collecting, <laughs> is collecting their uh, mileage points because uh, they have now flown to L.A. and back. They play L.A. again Sunday. Then they have to fly even further away to Vancouver the following Saturday, come back, play Seattle on the 1st. Then they fly back to the West Coast on June the 8th. Then Toronto is here, and then Vancouver. So uh, between now and the end of June, they will have made—because at the end of June, they go to Portland. So between now and the end of June, they will make consecutive one, two, three, four cross-country trips uh, to the West Coast— between now and the end of June. Um, and as we know, charter flights versus commercial flights are a big yeah. uh, point of contention with the uh, uh, Players Association as well. Well, maybe so. they're going to
2: burn one of their charters uh, in that sequence. That would be nice <laughs> for them. <laughs> they get two, right? And then that how that works?
1: Do we know the last time the Hunts paid for a charter
2: flight? Have they never done it? I just assume that they, like everybody else, they would just do two, and that would be it. I think um, that's the number. I think this. St-
1: I think this. St- well, I know they have the option for two, but oh, I, I believe it? the stereotype uh, would be Jeez. that I don't know if they've ever done it. I on. I mean, I would like to think that they have, but I don't ever remember no, I, us going. You know what? They took that sweet charter flight out to Toronto I, or something.
2: I know they have for sure because I remember discussing it with somebody once. Like, oh, then oh, that's a charter one. So, I mean, I know they do do them. I just don't know. I've never really investigated like how many or when. You know, I just, I know it's, it's usually like you say, a really long flight or a tight turnaround or, um, you know, when they mm-hmm. want to get out of town like late. Like if they'd have wanted to leave LA tonight instead of waiting until tomorrow, that would have been that the only way to do that would have been charter. So, well, the thing um, they
0: get, I think it's just they get four legs. So, like, every team saves every team who's in playoff contention at least will save a couple you know in mind for uh, a midweek in the playoffs or a, a quick turnaround like you say but then you know you've got potentially one round trip or you can break it down into to two legs you know dividing that over 17 games uh, particularly with with this or um, isn't there a, a midweek in San Jose that, like usual I mean yeah, and
1: those, those are tough decisions to make. So, I guess a uh, question for both of you guys is what, you know, uh, let's all try to be positive here for a second. Is there, yeah. you know, something to glom onto to feel like, okay, guys, it's just a rough patch? The, it's early in the season. Maybe it's better to get this out in May than it is in September. Uh, is there anything for us to grab onto to feel better about?
2: Sure. Uh, I mean, I thought the second half was better. You know, I thought I definitely liked that there was some intensity shown. I I, I liked that um, maybe everybody didn't just give up. I mean, those those are pretty good signs, I think. Um, you know, there is a summer window coming, and there is discussion of the kinds of players that might make a more immediate impact coming from Byron. Maybe I mean, uh, the the positivity going forward is 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 that once this tight window of international call-ups and injuries gets over with, you're still going to have a nice young core with a bunch of young, talented, homegrown academies and a couple of foreign signings that you'd like to to build on going forward. You still have a really young, kind of exciting team, and you still are, relatively speaking, in the playoff hunt. I mean, I think as I click the button to make sure, you're still uh, fifth. fifth. yeah, Right, so you're still in the playoffs. You're one of the top five teams in the West – uh, even with bad play of late, um, you know, I think there's still some talent on this team. I, I think they need another window to try and uh, get another piece or two. They need to make some more changes going forward. I think you're going to see some homegrown signings this summer once the academy season ends, whether they be homegrowns or whether they be um, North Texas signings. You know, there are some kids like Surreal. Now, remember, he's an 18 year old rookie homegrown there are kids that will be able to add to this team, whether it be depth or whether it be starter as we go forward. So, um, you know, we knew this was a rebuilding. year. So I think really the team is exactly where we thought they would be. So uh, I'm not too down on it overall, I just think right now they're hurting and these last two games have been pretty poor. Like you say,
0: it, you know, it's early days. It was supposed to be a rebuilding year. um, could look at it as the the start of an early summer slump um yeah one one thing like you mentioned, yeah, still in fifth, uh honestly, with seven teams out of twelve making the playoffs, and the bottom of bottom end of the league being absolutely dreadful, it's probably harder to miss the playoffs than it is to get in at this point, well, technically, by just pure numbers it is <laughs> well, you know what I mean. You, you know, you. There are some games where you'd be like, yeah, "Did they throw that?" But I guess, but over the course
1: uh, in this last stretch of seven, uh, where they had the two really sketchy wins, has there really been anything about this team that makes you feel like that they're a legitimate, uh, even you know, uh, just crossing over the the Mendoza
2: line type playoff team? Uh, in the last few games, no. But if you look back to the start of the year when all the pieces are in place and everyone's playing well, I think there is. And you know, it, they're in the the dog days of uh, for them with the injuries and the call-ups. This is this is the tough part. So I, I can't uh, I can't argue with the fact that they're right now. The, if they play the way they're playing right now, the whole rest of the season they're not going to do squat. But if everybody comes back and your MVP Paxton Call comes back, then I think there's a pretty good chance that you're going to be pretty decent.
1: Yeah, I'm just sitting here looking at the record. So you can kind of carve up the season so far into two parts. The 1-1 tie at home against uh, New England, the win over L.A., the loss in Columbus, the win against Colorado, the win uh, in Salt Lake is the quote-unquote good part of the season. And then it went down from there. Uh, The loss in Philadelphia, the – Win against Portland and Dallas that I think a lot of people felt like they got away with. The win in L.A., which somehow, for some reason, didn't feel like a win. The draw. Atlanta. In, uh, yeah, in Atlanta. Sorry. Yeah. Um, the, the, the nil-nil draw against San Jose. The loss in Houston. The loss against uh, New York's B team and tonight. And that's the second half of the season or the second half of the season to date.
2: Yeah, the, where, where you and I would differ there is that uh, I actually think they played pretty well all the way through the Portland and Atlanta games. I think Atlanta was a strategic decision. I actually think Portland played really well because, like, the first goal they scored was off of Paxton Press when Ian Ronge's pressed and they stole the ball. Yeah, you know, that was they a just, pretty good but win. But then they just
1: abdicated a possession the rest of the game. I mean, it was just pure luck that Portland either, A, didn't score on their own or they didn't get a penalty call against head, uh, Hollingshead on the handball. Yeah,
2: Sure. I mean, towards the end of the game, the other team's pressing and trying to get back. But I mean, you know, I thought they played pretty well for 67, 75% of that game. And then if you go back to the Philadelphia game, uh, they had to start Thomas Roberts for goodness sake, because they were missing so many pieces. So, you know, it's, I don't put the breakdown quite where you do, but I will, obviously the last four games, San Jose, Houston, New York, and LA, have been abysmal and it it all coincides with uh, Paxton getting hurt and, other players getting hurt. Other players getting called up. You know, it's all happening at the same time. So, for me, that's that's the bright side for me is that that window of badness is only coincides with these last few things. So, to me, the first ten of the season, or maybe that's too much, first eight of the season were pretty good.
1: So, while you were answering that question, I was looking at Twitter real quick, and I see a lot of people asking questions about LA's second goal, um, which was yeah. – that was a really weird sequence um i thought uh the guy that scored the goal was offside i thought the pass from diomande from h- to him he was offside turns out he wasn't but that isn't the controversy the controversy is is that it appears the referee whistle. blew his whistle yeah uh earlier in the sequence
2: yeah th- th- i think there's to when i watched the play happen to me it looked like they stopped play the referees did prior to the ball going in and then i was like oh, they can't look at that. Why, why are they looking? There's nothing to look at because there's nothing to reverse to. You can't go, oh, it's a goal now when the play was dead. You know, so I, I mean, I, I don't have the answer to that question, but I absolutely agree that I was mystified by how in the world you can award a goal there when the ball is already so dead.
0: Well, regardless, it was a foul on Reggie. Did you think it was? Yeah, his, his, uh, uh Diamande's arm extended. He shoved him. I thought
1: it was shoulder to shoulder, but I wasn't paying close enough attention. I was waiting to see where the ball was when the ball was passed. So I mean that too. may
2: be true also, but that th- there's no question to me in my well, mind that wh- offsides t- or t- not or foul or not that the play was whistled dead. And so it's you know you, yeah, play's dead. The play's dead. You can't. The ball can't go in the puck. Puck The puck can't, the puck can't, the puck can't go in the
0: goal. The ball can't go in the goal. You know the ball can't go through the hoop. Whatever. If the play's dead. It also goes back to you know this. The implementation of ours is terrible in MLS. Like, you know, the whole thing was clear and obvious error. Well, if, it's, if there's a prudering two frames to see whether it was just his head that was beyond the line of offside or if his foot extended, that's not a clear and obvious error. I'm
1: going to charge you a licensing fee for use yeah. of that term, by the way. It's the quality use of the prudering. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I'm going to send you an invoice for that.
0: Well, sorry. I was watching his leg go back and to the left.
1: well uh (laughs) good one yeah i mean it it is uh ridiculous i'm sure we'll get some sort of half-assed answer out of pro over it but i agree with you dan they They,
0: they didn't acknowledge the uh the one in houston uh, when uh, they spent five minutes looking at mcnamara's you know was it really that bad a foul that they had to look at it to then go and uh not look at the uh, the goal when Figueroa took a dive.
1: The other question I wonder, should we not be uh, thinking about asking Lucci and specifically the training and doctor staff as to why in the world Barrios was even allowed to come back on the field and play in the second half? I mean, they had an entire halftime to... Uh, you know, test him and uh, get a sense of what kind of condition he was after getting a knee to the face, which, by the way, isn't a foul. Um, that was <laughs> – some people thought that was a foul on the goalkeeper's part, and I did, I, it wasn't. Um Not a million years. But it – what was he on the field for all of, what, two minutes before he clearly – he clearly was in no condition to be back on the field, and I'm just wondering how we even got to that point.
2: Yeah, that reminds me of um... – you know, the the, the game where um, I can't remember the specifics of the game, but last year when Oscar was little, they were literally walking back out to the field and some, and they, and the player finally says, oh, by the way, I can't go. As they're walking back up. It was, yeah, Hedges, was right. Hedges. With Oscar. And Oscar's like, wait, what? Now you're telling me? And it makes me wonder if Barrios kind of hit himself and was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm fine. And then he, until he gets out there and starts running and all of a sudden he can barely handle it. You know, players hide stuff. They do. And um, so I, I that maybe w- I immediately thought of that with, with yeah. last year with Oscar and Hedges and then being caught off guard by that. I mean it happens. I seem to remember
1: the Hedges thing where he it was a, a clash of heads that maybe it didn't even stop play for. Barrios was on the floor flat after getting a knee to the yeah. face and the doctors came out and attended to him and then it was almost immediately halftime after. I'm just it just seemed weird that he had a, a collision like that and they had an entire halftime let him back on and it took all of literally 120 seconds for him to realize he shouldn't be out there. I just I think there's some questions behind that. Yeah. Um now uh, the other thing is uh and you know we could pick on the the play over the last two games. I, I the one thing we really haven't touched on is is and, and maybe we deserve to spend, we should spend a couple of minutes just asking the question, um, set today's result aside. Let's go back to previous Saturday because that's the one that really bothers me more than anything. How in the world did that starting 11 play so poorly at home against that
2: starting 11? Well, I don't know. I, you know, when I when I watched the game live, uh, the New York game we're speaking of, I actually felt like uh, the first 10, 15, 20 minutes there was a lack of intensity by Dallas. I and mean, I, I can't I think as a player, when you you know the other team as well as anybody, when you look at the roster and you see a bunch of second team players and USL call ups and all that kind of stuff, that you you can't help but uh, step onto the back foot and relax. You know, and I thought from the get go of that game that Dallas lacked some some bite and some intensity. And New York didn't. They fought and clawed and and battled and played with intense the whole game. And as a consequence, they scored uh, goals in counterattack situations. And if you went, if you go back and look at all the the goals in particular, they all have um, defensive breakdowns from Dallas, which we haven't seen a lot of this year. Um, when they've given up goals, it usually is because of a great individual offer by somebody that's on the other team, not a defensive breakdown. And in almost all those situations when I looked at the tape, uh, the people that were playing out of position, like um, Acosta playing as a six-type holding mid, which he did again tonight, by the way. And, again, I thought it was terrible. Um, It's not on him. He's not the one that put him there. But he over-compresses down to the level of uh, Hedges and Ziegler, and he leaves – basically like two or three guys up top to be marked by a combination of Arangis or Roberts after he came in or a Barrios and a Freya coming back or whatever it was. And you can't do that. You have to have that top of the box line maintained as well as the middle of the box line. And, and, and multiple breakdowns happen because Arangis is trying to cover one or two guys. You know, it's like asking Mauro Diaz to cover somebody. It's like that's not the kind of player he is. And so you get defensive breakdowns and you lose the game. So it's a combination of a lot of things, but uh, in that instance, I think it was both a question of assumption they were going to win and then defensive breakdowns from people playing out of position or that shouldn't be asked to defend at all.
1: Dan, did you feel bad for Cobra when he was the victim of being substituted out early for Holland's head because of the uh, Barrios injury?
0: No, he didn't do anything.
1: He ran around um, a lot. He tried hard.
0: Yeah. <laughs> They won't get try hard. the final thirds. So, I mean, you know, you can try hard all you like.
1: Yeah, his passing is a bit off. I, th- You know, I you know there are there are points uh and stretches with this team whether it be cobra baji or ferrea uh, that i do wonder if their lack of production or consistent you know total touches of the ball throughout a game has very little to do with them individually and far more to do with what's broken in with this team in attack uh but and i haven't seen enough of this guy i haven't seen anywhere near as much of this guy as you have buzz I, I I said it earlier. I just don't get it. I don't know how they thought he was good enough to play in this league. Um, and when you lose a foot race to Walker Zimmerman, you're really yeah.
2: slow. Yeah, I. Uh, some of it is the disconnect in midfield, um, but Jesus has produced goals, so it's not only that with Cobra. Um, you know, I I've piled on too much on him. I, I've already told the story of you know the first day in training when i saw him and i said to him uh, within 5 minutes i was like uh-oh you know i've tried to give him the benefit of the doubt but there's there's nothing there that allows him to separate there's nothing there that is special i mean you, you love his work rate and you love his effort he's a great dude i have no complaints about him locker room wise fitting in with the team wise fabulous guy you know character fun awesome but the bottom line is, is if you don't have the ability to separate and create a shot or play tight enough combinations to create space for a shot or out jump a guy or out work a guy or out muscle a guy, and none of that is true. None of that happens.
0: So I, I think in some ways his performance was typified uh, by what was it? He took the ball down the left wing. Um... Yeah, he's he's the last man, no no options to pass to, and there's three LAFC defenders coming in on him. So he knocks it 15 yards ahead of him and tries to outrun them all.
1: I think that's the race against Walker he lost that
2: uh, made
0: me giggle. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And as much as you complain about Baji,
2: as much as you complain about Baji, at least Baji has the speed to be able to run by guys. You know what I mean? At least there's something there that you can say as a tool that's useful to the team, and I, I just don't see it, and I haven't seen it from the get-go with this, with Cobra, and and I don't mean to be a jerk, and pile on, but you know, not good enough is not good enough, and you know, we got him for <laughs> the foreseeable future, just like Coleman. Uh, all right, because we
1: uh, mentioned this a little bit earlier with the summer window uh, coming up. Uh, You know, I guess it's possible maybe uh, the Hunts and the front office and the new Gremio dude uh, pull off some sort of summer signing. But Andre Soto uh, asked the question, what would be the last impactful summer transfer move by Dallas? And I had to put my brain to this, and I've got a name in mind. I'm wondering what you two guys would
2: come up with. Well, Pedroso last season. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he, fantastic. He came yeah. in and he was one of the best left backs in the league over the for Oscar over the last half of the season. So, I, you know.
1: All right, that's a fair one. Yeah, I was going to say uh De Guzman back in 2012 when they traded for him uh from Toronto. Yeah. Uh, that was the only I other mean, one other than that that I could think of. Daniel often.
2: Hernandez came in mid-season and helped uh shore up that team under Shellis. Yeah. And that's that's kind of going back a fair ways too. The rest of them I feel like are all named Eric.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, yeah. so <laughs> i't I wouldn't, wouldn't
2: count. So, say that again. I'd have to look at a breakdown of when guys came in. I mean, I, I can remember how good guys were. Mark Wilson was pretty decent coming in. Uh, didn't he come in mid season. I have no idea who you're talking about. Mark Wilson, Weeping Willow. No, I or don't. number fifteen. I don't remember that at all.
0: Uh, that was well, at the back obscure. end of the.
2: That's the back end of the Colin Clark. Hey, he played two seasons here. It's not that obscure. Really? Wow. Yeah. Um. Um. He's, Roberto Mina was he a mid-season guy?
1: Yeah, M- Mina was a mid. I'm pretty sure Mina was. I think a, he's a mid-season, mid-season guy. Yeah. There was Jetterson, There was Eric. There was a uh, that Colombian. How, how about Ricardino? Ricardino, how about right? There, yeah. there was the Colombian uh, holding the really old Colombian holding mid last year. Um, yeah. Uh, there was another South American
2: uh, holding mid. Um, and well, Tenwa uh, ten Bansu. If you want to go all the way back to uh, yeah, that far, he was a midseason guy. He was, was a good
1: midseason pickup. Was, Lu, was uh, Peter Lucina midseason? Oof, I can't remember. I can't either. Well,
0: I mean, Diaz was a midseason guy. If you want to count him, not an immediate impact. Well, no, overall. I mean,
1: well, but I think that's the you know, no, Diaz was not yeah. a, an immediate impact, and and I think no, if, I you
2: know, Mosquera, so.
1: N- not mascara not um, mascara Pedroso. Pedroso.
2: got to get my guys right
1: i guess that i i don't know if i should feel uh I, I don't know if i should feel relieved that the the best midseason signing was last year or the fact that it turned out to be a left back i don't know that's weird yeah um know, and, and while we're talking about and it's probably going to feel like we're dogpiling, i do have to at least take a second to ask you guys your reaction to the dan hunt quotes that appeared um this week where he was uh they were talking about I can't remember who did the story oh it was uh, Will Parchman's uh, article um uh where he was interviewing Dan Hunt as Dan was you know doing his thing where he's standing on the sideline kicking every ball uh during one of the games and he made a comment that he felt like that we that he was living the golden generation for FC Dallas which I thought was interesting but I was really Uh, got crazy eyes when I read that he said that he felt like he had a bunch of homegrowns that were more interested in staying in Frisco and winning MLS Cup than uh, trotting off to European deals.
2: Wow. I mean, I I, I have not talked to every homegrown by any stretch of imagination or every academy kid. I I find that last one uh, to be a little... Uh, pie in the sky. I mean, I I think that there's a bunch of academy kids that would love to win here, but I think if you asked any of them, would you rather go to Europe and play for a big club? That they're they're gonna tell you Europe and a big club. I mean, I, I don't I think that's disingenuous, but I do think he's right. And we talked about it earlier how it shows where their mindset is on this team. I actually think he's right about the academy in that sense. I think there's there's still two or three dudes in the 19s that are good, but the current 17 team is ridiculously stacked. There's a bunch of guys in that team that are at least MLS capable, MLS capable or not better. The current 14s is a really, really special group, too. And I think between those two clubs, there's another three or four guys that are worth talking about. So I think he's not wrong about there being this incredible generation coming. But the downside of all that is that that tells you where, as we talked about earlier, that tells you where their thinking is. They're not thinking about. Bringing in a Carlos Vela. They're not thinking about signing guys for $15 million. They're not looking at your Bradley Wright Phillips or your Josie Altadors. They're looking at kids in, that aren't going to be ready for five or six seasons. So Lucci's treading water with the guys he has and bringing along the guys that are ready in the next couple of years. But it's going to be a little bit of a slog probably until we get to that stage. You know, when I
1: – I can't t- quite tell if I admire – well, I think there's two parts to this question. One, I, I never know if Dan actually believes any of this stuff that he says. Uh, there's that famous story I think I've told you guys where – really- huh? I don't either. Well, no, you know, there's that story I think I've shared with you guys where I know that Dan tried to insist that most MLS teams would be mid-table EPL teams to a uh, very high decision maker at one of the major media outlets in this marketplace. And um, (laughs) the guy he was talking to actually knows the game pretty well, and he just – he was – he was blown away that Dan would try to convince him of that, uh, but then at the then at the same time, I see Dan say things like this, and then I wonder. I think he I, there's a part of me that believes that he actually thinks he's speaking the truth.
0: All the lo- all the local uh, soccer media, we've all had conversations with him at one time or another where he's said something that is so far out there that he absolutely believes with a passion Uh, god knows why but yeah he he does uh, you know he's not uh, he's not someone that that doesn't say something unless he really thinks it now i will i will go
2: out there and say that the top teams in mls their first 11 are Mid c- capable of competing with the mid table, but
1: don't don't. I no,
2: mean, d- I'm not. I'm talking about <laughs> the very best teams. So what I'm going to say is, the where they get crushed is where Dallas is getting crushed right now. It's okay. over the meat of the season. They can't go thirty or forty teams deep. I mean, I mean players deep, and that's where they would get just annihilated over the course of, a, of an EPL season. Yes,
1: in some sort of mystical universe where MLS teams right. could play their best 11 players week in yeah. week out without injury, you could make the argument maybe that one or two of them might survive an EPL season. Right, I'm season. not speaking about an actual real right. season. I'm okay. only talking
2: about, like, the, the if you take the best team in MLS and look at their first 11, it can hold up to a mid-tier EPL team. But you can't talk about it in a real season or a real Competitive environment with game after game and the loads that happen is just because the EPL teams have forty guys that are that good, not ten. So it's like that's where the problem is.
1: All right, I'll give our resident uh, Englishman uh, an opportunity to rebut.
0: I mean, he's right. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, we've seen uh, Salford City make headlines for uh, getting promoted to the football league, the fourth tier. Well, one of their guys, make, their their, uh, their star striker makes about the equivalent of $300,000 a year. That sounds like a pretty expensive striker for FC Dallas, doesn't it? Well, certainly,
1: yeah, but... I, I don't know what to tell you, dude. I mean, <laughs> I mean, none of this is a mystery to anybody after all these years, right? I guess the the larger question is, and this is what gets back to kind of my initial uh, start to all of this: is do we understand what this plan is? And is and and I think part of that goes back to with the departure of Perea and the departure of um, Muzi and the pass and the death of um, uh, Clavio. I, is this a complete uh, cleaning of the slate and we're starting over uh, with the new technical guy from Gremio and with Lucci and it's just going to take some time for this stuff to ramp up? Um, and do we need to give them that level of uh, latitude uh, as they go through the season? I I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. And there's a part of me that believes that the front office is essentially already written off the 2019 season.
2: I don't think it goes as far as that, but I do think that you got to give a new coach, even if he's well familiar with the team, a new coach is going to want to change the team. He's going to want to be his guys. Even if it's one of his former assistants, it's not going to be the same. Any given season, guys get older, new guys come in, you know, players progress or they don't progress. A guy will have a duty likes versus you guys. He doesn't like, you know, look, look at even if like a guy like Ryan Hollingson, look how much blue G values him and his leadership over where he barely could get on the field last season for Oscar. You know, it's, Everybody's different, so Lucci's going to want to turn this roster over, and I bet you that after, if we were to look ahead with the time machine to the end of not this season, but maybe next season, you'd find that 80% of this team will be different.
1: Yeah, but... Just the way it works. Right, but so that, that leads me to this point about maybe, and when I say right off this season, I don't want it to make it sound... Uh, that's that's that sounds way more harsh than I think it is. But if we get through a summer transfer window and they don't make a substantive change, I mean, the, there was a transfer window that closed recently and they didn't add
2: anybody to this roster and they have two open slots and they have clear needs. Well, they uh, did. No, that's the same transfer window in which they added Acosta, Andresic. All those guys that can, that we complaining about were busts. Those were all the window that just closed. Well, okay, yes. It just wasn't at the that, end of it, but it well, was the same it, window. By
1: the time the window did close, they still had an opportunity to – to they they not only had an opportunity to add players, they actually had a significant amount of the season played to judge where they were at, and they could have made additions, and they chose not
2: to. Now, let me – No, that's true. Out. They did look around, though. They did try. Oh, okay. I mean, I know they oh. put out the effort.
1: I'm using try in air quotes right now, but my point well, is – Well, getting back to
2: your question, which is the summer window, Dan Hunt, as you say – went on the record and talked about how they had this whole Byron hookup coming. So, I mean, they better now. I mean, he's told them everybody it's happening. So he has specifically said somebody is coming from Germany in this summer yeah. window. That's what I remember him saying. He made a big, huge deal about it. Remember, he specifically mentioned, uh, LaHood, he mentioned Robin and, and, um, damn it, who was the other one? Um,
1: well, I was unaware of this. Uh, been... Yeah, no. Uh,
2: huh? Was it Riverwood? Yes. Rubbery. He specifically mentioned those two guys by name. And then he specifically said that he had never really thought about like retiring kind of guys. He always kinda of wanted guys more in their prime. But he specifically went into that whole thing about mm-hmm. how they was coming. So I you know,
0: maybe he so backtracked that later and said something if about it to build, be if the winner build, they will come.
1: <laughs> my I think my point is is that if we get through the summer window and they don't make substantive additions, I mean they make they may make one, another one of these yeah. historically consistent, random South American guy that does nothing but sit on the bench for the most of the second half of the season. I think that would be our clear indicator that this is a complete, re, you know, rebuild. To yeah. your point, that Lucci needs to put in eighty percent new people for the twenty twenty season.
2: Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, that's that's the big question, isn't it?
1: Well, well, it is. And look, this is a team still – this is Major League Soccer. This team is in fifth place. They're in a rough patch. Clearly, you know, by the time all of the international stuff is gone, there's well more than enough season left over. Paxton comes back. He's in great form because he's just killed it in the World Cup and the U.S. has won the World tw- the U-20s. And, uh, you know, they uh, play a pretty even-steven uh, second half of the season and get into the playoffs, and everybody's thinking, oh, actually, that wasn't bad,
2: 2019. Well, if you – if you're looking for a sign, well, number one, let's, uh, one question may be like, what does Coleman look like over the next month? But the bigger indicator that they're clearing the deck for something is they traded Pedroso. They have two open senior roster spots and they have an open senior. They have two open international spots because now they're down to seven and they've got nine. So I think it's clear as day that they think something's happened. They're clearing the deck and getting ready for something. So we'll see. But you know, the signs are all there that something's coming down.
0: We're also, I mean, uh, you know, Andre's not his chair's office. Chair isn't even warm yet. He hasn't been there that long. Uh, you know, it, with him comes a whole new plan, uh, presumably uh, focusing South America again to to supplement the, uh, the youth. But that, that is going to take some time. Uh, and it may just be a case of, They'll be scrambling around at the end of this window, and, and the winter will be the main focus. But, uh, you know, even looking further at it, uh, uh, Chui Vera, the director of international scouting, who, or is now director of scouting, I should say, uh, you know, he's only, he's only been here a year. He's still kind of setting up his his deal in the U S and now he's balancing coaching as well. So yeah, um, the 19s, it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. Hopefully, uh, I know, I know Dan Hunt is, is kind of acting as cheerleader for the, uh, by Munich partnership after it's been heavily criticized by fans. So maybe, you know, saying, Hey, we can sign star players, players that were kind of relevant many, many moons ago is, you know, Could just be to try and implicate the fans as much as anything.
1: FC Dallas has LAFC coming into town for an odd quirk in the scheduling in just three days. That game, by the way, in another bizarre move, was moved uh, to 6.30 from its original start time a couple of hours earlier. And we asked the club uh, for a reason why, and it was... They essentially said, well, they played Thursday night and have to travel on Friday. We we wanted to give them as much time to rehab and recoup as possible. Uh, I I can't imagine the havoc that has wreaked among the few fans that were going to attend the game in the first place that made plans, but... And the fact Our that Twitter blew
2: up about it. Yeah.
1: I know. I. I yeah. And I don't know who made that decision. I don't know who asked for it. I can't assume this was singularly one club or the other club's decision. It just, It's just a really, really odd decision um, uh, that I think will only come at the— I think there will be uh, more havoc wreaked on the fans than benefit uh, added to the players in terms of time added for their rehab. Yeah, it's, um, it's now during the final of Game of Thrones. Yeah, and it's on uh, Texas Twenty One. So the game kicks off at six thirty. And also, by the time the next time we do one of these podcasts, uh, Dan, you brought to my attention that FC Dallas's women's team will kick off their season in the WPSL.
0: Certainly do. It's uh, Tyler Powell's second season as, uh, as head coach. I spoke to him in the week for uh, for a preview. We'll have up on uh, on the blog. Uh, yeah, he's really excited, looking forward to the season. He's uh, he's going to have uh, Madison Haley back, who is the daughter of Charles Haley. Um, she only only managed to play four games last year, but got three assists and seven goals in that time. Uh, you'll have Taryn Torres, who's a, an academy product, who's at the University of Virginia in the uh, under-23s women's national team. They're hoping to have... Uh, Potentially have Athlete Palomo and Reina Reyes, both uh, Mexico U20s that came through the academy. Uh, should be a should be an int- should be a good season. They're looking more uh, returning academy players than anything, and uh, trying to get more players into the NWSL draft. Uh, this year saw uh, two players who played for the WPSL team drafted into NWSL. Uh, Casey Tillman, who is a uh, NCAA national champion, and Julie James, who is playing with Carly Lloyd at Sky Blue FC. Um, she went, I think, seventh in the draft or 11th. Um, season kicks off on Wednesday against uh, Texas Spurs, which is Ed Puskarich's team. Puskarich. Puskarich, already... yeah. Okay, no, you did fine. Country. You're British. I get it. Where do they <laughs> we play just the know games? Them, that's all. Where do they play uh, they, the games, Dan? They're playing on um, Dr. Pinkfield. They are looking into the possibility of doing doubleheaders with North Texas SC in the stadium.
1: Excellent. That's a good segue. And, uh, Buzz, you hung out and watched North Texas continue their undefeated season against Ooh. Orlando B. Man, they're good.
2: I mean, that. that's the biggest question for me with that club is that are they so good that they're in the wrong league because they're five for five, right? I mean, they're dominating that play, and they're doing it with basically an almost entire academy roster. I mean, they had, they had, they had Zobek and Goal, who's old, but then it was like everybody else on the team was like 22 and down, and all the way down to like a 15-, 16-year-old kid playing. So it's like they're, they're basically running out an academy team and steamrolling that league. It's yeah. exciting. Right. And the, it's fun and, to and, watch. Am I wrong in
1: saying that the game uh, uh, last weekend was actually not dissimilar to the season senior team where they had some injuries and some call-ups? And yeah. So when you say they're playing a youthful team, even for North Texas yeah. soccer, that was actually a uh, like their B team for yeah. North Texas soccer.
2: No, I mean, they had the same problem as FC Dallas, that Servania was gone, and he's been playing for them a lot right? Pepe's with the U17s, who's their talisman scorer up front. You know, they brought in another academy guy, Johan Gomez, who's going to University of Portland next year, uh, this fall. So, you know, they're, they're, they're basically running out uh, teams filled with essentially over half literal academy players, you know, using a couple of guys that are signed in North Texas. And this last game, I think Colin Montgomery and Brian Reynolds were the only players that came down. And don't forget that Brian Reynolds is seventeen, and he's so young he could actually have a whole other season in the academy if he wanted. Mm. You know, it's just ridiculous how they're they're knocking off these fully professional teams with basically an academy team. It's fantastic
1: and uh speaking at the farthest reaches of that uh, we saw the disappointing end of the US Open Cup run by Riados. they lost in Oklahoma on was it was on penalty kicks was it not or was it no no, no it was they just they got two penalty two
0: kicks
2: uh, ah yeah.
1: okay yeah so uh, uh by the way just congratulations flat out to them for their amazing continual Uh, runs into the Open Cup. This may not have been as deep as some previous ones, but the fact that they ever get as far as they do, uh, considering they're just a a pub team, is pretty impressive. Although, uh, now that we have the Florida Soccer Soldiers, um, we need to uh, think about maybe a different naming convention because I can't figure out if that's either A, the worst, or B, the best name (laughs) in soccer history. I'm not quite sure. It's not the best,
2: Bug Eaters is the best, but it's pretty good. <laughs> oh yeah, Bug Eaters is pretty damn
1: fantastic. I
0: will always yeah. say it's Lee Railway Mechanics Institute Football Club, but you know.
1: Fair enough. I'll I'll uh, I'll give you I don't a, know that one. I'll give you an opportunity to throw that one in the
2: in the pot for best worst name. I mean how football. typical for Reados though. Their van broke down in Denton on the way to Oklahoma and they ended up having to do an emergency rental for somebody oh, to I didn't get know up there. That. Yeah. So the game, befo-
1: the, the game before, their flight got canceled, and they got yeah. a flat tire driving up, and then their car broke down on the way up to their game to Oklahoma. Fantastic.
2: Wow. Yeah, in Denton.
0: <laughs> All right, well, kudos the, uh, to them. The Open Cup's been a little bit weird this year. Uh, you know, we've only got um, Forward Madison and Florida so- uh, Soccer Soldiers are the only teams outside uh, or below the USL Championship that are still in the competition.
1: Maybe some people are taking it a little bit more seriously this year.
0: Yeah. Well, and they're getting scheduled. Like you know, it was scheduled so that it would be all USL Championship, and then you know every USL Championship team plays an MLS team.
2: I I want to throw one more note at you on that game. Amir Sasacarovic, who was a draft pick last year that I really wanted to stick with FC Dallas and did not. He uh, is now with Oklahoma City, and that was his pro debut, and he scored. Uh, a goal and drew the PK uh, or the first PK. So great to see him playing and doing well. And I'm glad he got on with somebody. Solid club in Oklahoma City energy.
1: And in uh, wanting to support local soccer as much as we can, unfortunately the Denton Diablos did not get to play their originally scheduled uh, debut game i guess it was against was it going to be oh, against dallas fc so now their debut game will be their big derby clash yes. because they're two long-standing rivals uh, as they will ha- host fort worth uh, this saturday at 7 p.m up at uh, north texas university soccer stadium uh, tickets are 12 dollars at the gate i'm told buzz
2: yeah, the, uh, the Chisholm Trail Classico, it'll be fun. They actually have like a championship boxing belt to give to the winner of the series. So, I mean, you sport local soccer, local derby, love it brand new team who cares it's local it's fun I'm gonna be there on Saturday for sure
1: yeah uh, the coach of Denton has uh, has uh, I, I saw the article that you wrote for the morning news this week about that yeah man he he rightfully is uh, making it very clear that he doesn't have all of his parts yet <laughs> so no. whatever starting 11 he rolls out maybe a collection of guys he picks up at the local um uh this weekend because he's got a bunch of college kids that haven't showed up yet but yeah uh, I love the brand and I love the attitude, and uh, I wish both those teams uh, well this season.
2: Yeah, they're they're going with the USL 2 model, the old PDL model of all college kids, and you're right, some of them won't be here yet, and they have some open tryout kids that they sign from like lower division teams and stuff. Um, Fort Worth is obviously a well established team that uses like six sidekicks guys or five sidekicks guys, I don't remember how it is, so those dudes are in mid season form, so it's a bad foot to step off with Diablos. because they didn't even get a game to warm up with basically. But, um, you know, I mean, I love to support local soccer. We love to support soccer, local soccer. So uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm hoping that there's a void in Fort Worth or the western half of this Metroplex that could for sure be filled by somebody at a slightly higher level than that. Hoping hope it's going to be one of these teams eventually. We'll see. But in the meantime, they're playing an NPSL grudge match on Saturday, and it's going to be a lot of fun. With all the talk about how you build community and you market
1: online digitally and you promote yourself and you build a brand, it'll be
2: fascinating to
1: see what their very first uh, attendance turnout is. Uh, yeah. for Diablos I'm, I'm dying to see what that number turns out to be so alright well uh, Dan and Buzz thanks it's very late it's almost 1 o'clock in the morning when we're recording this so it'll be sometime Friday before I get this posted because I'm super sweepy thanks to you both for uh, taking the time today and thank you fans for listening and we'll join you next week for another edition of Third Degree the Podcast